If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. If you're not sure where that's at, you can look close to the middle and find Isaiah. And then you'll go Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then find the small book of Lamentations. It has five chapters there. This past Sunday, we considered the goodness of God as one of three truths that we must hold on to in the midst of any trial or difficulty or disappointment that we face, uh, global pandemics included. I'm drawing those three truths from Jerry Bridges' very helpful book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. And he builds the whole book around these, these three ideas, emphasizing that when trouble comes, we must trust that God is good, that he is sovereign, meaning that he is in control of all things, and that he is wise. As Bridges says it, God is completely sovereign. God is infinite in wisdom. God is perfect in love. Of course, these are not the only truths about God that there are, but they are particularly, particularly pertinent to us in times of suffering and difficulty. They offer us a foundation to stand on when everything else around us is crumbling. And they give us a clear way to encourage one another. They also give us a simple way of expressing our hope to those around us who may be far from God. And they're not unrelated truths either. Rather, they, they inform and interact with one another, nuancing and filling each other out. God's goodness helps us understand his sovereignty, and his sovereignty helps us understand his wisdom, and so on. We might think about these truths like a, a three-corded rope that maybe we're tethered to as we're climbing a, a steep cliff. And these three truths wound together hold us and keep us from falling. Or we might think about a, a three-legged stool. We've talked about three-legged stools when we've done our Fellowship of the Word gatherings. Of course, that's in a different context. But if you think about a three-legged stool, you know that you need all three legs of that stool to be sturdy and to be present for that stool to hold you up. If you had only one or two of those legs, you can, you can kind of sit on that stool, maybe for a little bit, but it's going to be unstable at best. But with three legs, you can, you can rest your whole weight on the stool. And when we hold firmly to these three truths together, we can fully rest on God, no matter what comes at us. As we together hear this call to, to trust God, remember this, that it's not the, the strength of our faith that holds us up, but the strength of what or who we are putting our faith in. A weak faith in an all-powerful God is better than great faith in something or someone who will buckle under the weight of, of our difficulties. And God alone can hold us completely. So bring all of your questions and all of your concerns, bring your anger and your tears, your frustrations, your confusion, bring even your weak faith and rest yourself in the goodness, the sovereignty, and the wisdom of God. He can uphold us. He can hold our questions. He can even hold all of our doubts. Today I want us to consider God's sovereignty, his power and authority to do whatever he pleases. God's sovereign control is a, 
a truth that's on almost every page of the scriptures. In fact, it's in the passage that we looked at last week. You remember Luke 12, 6, it says, There are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God. In Matthew's account of the same words, Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 29. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground, apart from the will of your Father. These birds, these sparrows sold two for a penny or five for two cents, are valued by God, we said. They are, they are not forgotten by God. But also stated in there is the reality that whether they soar through the air or fall to the ground, all of that happens according to the will of God. And if that's true for the birds, if God has absolute power and authority over them, then it's also true for we who are created in God's image. And it's true also for everything that happens in the world. As we consider God's sovereign control in the world, I want us to hear this call. When things seem most out of control, trust that God is in control. When, when things seem most out of control, trust that God is in control. Thinking about that big idea, you might picture a, a trick pilot who stalls his engine and then lets the plane dive towards the earth on, on purpose. And as you look at that, it looks like he is out of control, but we know that he is not. Or maybe you might think about an artist who, who paints over her canvas with, with dark colors. And it doesn't make sense to us, but we, we trust that she is in control and she's acting with purpose to bring beauty to that canvas. In this present situation, as we see the number of cases and the number of deaths and the number of people who are unemployed and the number of days in quarantine, as we see all of those numbers rise and rise and rise and rise, we're called to trust that God is sovereign, that he is in control. And Lord willing, when we find ourselves on the other side of this moment, there will be times Again, when it seems like the world is falling apart, even if it's simply just our own personal world, but even then in our homes and in our jobs and in our, in our community, in all the moments of life, when things seem most out of control, we can trust that God is in control. The book of Lamentations is a book of five poems. As the title suggests, a key part of its message is lament. It gave words for Israel to use to express their grief and their sorrow over the greatest tragedy that they had, as a nation had faced, namely the, the siege and the destruction of Jerusalem and the Babylonian exile. God's people were, were taken out of the land that had been promised to Abraham and to his descendants. The temple in Jerusalem had been completely destroyed. The royal line of David seem to be no more. And in the book of Lamentations, God's people recount the sufferings that had come on them because of their sin, and they call out in confession and repentance and seeking God's face. The key passage in the whole book is found in Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. It's the most well-known portion of the book of Lamentations. In the midst of all the heartache and the destruction that surrounded him, the author speaks out in faith and he says these words. Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. But this I call to mind. 
and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. What wonderful words of hope in the midst of pain. Words I think we should, we should probably memorize. So I want to encourage you to do that this week, to meditate on and memorize Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. But I actually want us to look closely today at some verses a bit further along. The verses that, that follow uh, 3, 21 through 24 help us to see what the author founded this solid hope on. And part of his foundation is found in the words of Lamentations 3, 37 through 39. Lamentations 3, 37 through 39. It reads like this. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Here in these three verses, we find God's absolute sovereignty spoken of very clearly. And it is this control over all things that allows the writer of Lamentations and us to trust the Lord when everything around us is falling apart. Three thoughts as we consider the fact that God is in control even when it looks like everything else is falling apart around us. Notice first that nothing happens apart from the Lord's command. Nothing happens apart from the Lord's command. There's a simple children's game called Mother May I. And in that, children ask a person who's been deemed to be in charge if they can take a certain number of steps or or hops, or leaps towards the mother, and whoever gets there first wins. The rule of the game is, is simple. It's that whatever the mother says goes. In the world, we see that God, in a similar way, is in absolute control. Nothing happens apart from his will and his decree. No one can take a step unless he allows it. And verse 38 is clear that this extends to the good and the bad of the world. Verse 38, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Job chapter 1 also makes this clear, as Satan can only wreak havoc on Job's life if the Lord gives him permission. And Isaiah 45, 6 through 7 echoes our passage here in Lamentations. It says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. As we struggle to track an invisible virus from, that's going from person to person and we watch its silent spread, we can know that God knows and ordains everything that happens, including the spread of this virus. You can also know that when you go to the store, he's sovereign over the cart that you choose, the bag of lettuce that you pick up, the people that you pass, and the cashier that you interact with. As you go to work, he's sovereign over the patients that you will treat, the customers that you will help, and every surface that you touch. He orchestrates the molecules in the air when someone coughs. He is the one who, who gives and takes away jobs. 
He is the one who determines our every step. He is the one who allows leaders to enact laws and to determine how to handle what is happening, whether those actions are for good or for bad. Nothing is outside of God's sovereign control. Nothing happens apart from the Lord's command. Jerry Bridges says it like this in his book that I mentioned, Trusting God. He says, nothing is so small or trivial as to escape the attention of God's sovereign control. Nothing is so great as to be beyond his power to control it. The insignificant sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his will. The mighty Roman Empire cannot crucify Jesus Christ unless that power is given to it by God. And what is true for the sparrow and for Jesus is true for you and me. No detail of your life is too insignificant for your Heavenly Father's attention. No circumstance is so big that he cannot control it. Now, for some, this kind of absolute sovereignty of God is held up actually as something that needs to be let go of in the midst of difficulty and pain. It said that, that we cannot hold on to the truth that God is all loving and good and that he's also in control of all things. The logic of this is that if he is loving and good, then he would stop terrible things like global pandemics from ever happening. So the fact that such things happen mean that he is either all good or he is absolutely sovereign. But he can't be both. And yet scripture teaches us that he can be both and he is. He is both perfectly loving and absolutely sovereign. And here it may be helpful to think about the slight difference between God's sovereignty and God's providence. I find John Piper helpful here. He writes, God's sovereignty is his right and power to do all that he decides to do. Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. But notice that that nothing in that definition of sovereignty refers to God's wisdom or God's plans. It's just right and power. You have the right and you have the power to do what you decide to do. When he decides to do a thing, he does it, and no one can stop him. That's sovereignty. Piper goes on. So to make sovereignty a Christian concept, not just a philosophical one, we have to bring in other things we know about God from the Bible, like wisdom and justice and righteousness and grace. Providence, however, includes what sovereignty doesn't. Providence, as I use the word and as most Christians have used it, is sovereignty in the service of wise purposes. Or you could say providence is wise and purposeful sovereignty. We begin to see how God's goodness and wisdom inform his sovereignty, how we need the three legs of our stool to work together if we're going to be able to rest our souls in God. And in seeing that, we begin to see how God can be absolutely sovereign and completely loving. I would go as far as to say that he has to be both, or there is no comfort found in his character. If, if God is good, but incapable of doing what he wills, then that offers me no hope or help. And if he's sovereign, but he's not good, then I cannot trust him to that I cannot trust him. But he's both. And so we can have peace, whatever comes into our lives. Regarding providence, this is what our, our statement of faith says. This is what providence is defined as. God from eternity decrees or permits all things that come to pass and perpetually upholds 
directs and governs all creatures and all events, yet so as not in any wise to be the author or approver of sin, nor to destroy the free will and responsibility of intelligent creatures. There's a lot there, a lot worth meditating on. I would say you need deep theology to deal with deep troubles, and so don't shy away from deep thoughts about who God is. At the very least, that definition reminds us that the world we live in is filled with sin. God is in control, but we also live in an age where the, the presence of sin and sinful people is permitted to exist according to his will. So alongside this truth that nothing happens apart from the Lord's command, let's think on a second idea. Nothing in our present world escapes the stain of sin. Nothing in our present world escapes the stain of sin. We see this reality alluded to in Lamentations 3.39. Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? The destruction of Jerusalem and the exile to Babylon were the direct result of Israel's sin. After years and years of patience and of pleading for repentance, God was no more than just was, was more than just in punishing the Israelites, just as he is more than just. In, in punishing us for our sin and for our rebellion. Now, as we think about our present situation, am I saying that this pandemic is a direct judgment of God on the world? I have no idea. And neither does anyone else, especially people who say for sure that it is. But our sin and rebellion against God at the root of all the tragedies that we face in this world Yes, they are. Sin has scarred and broken God's good world, and we all have rebelled against our created Creator. We are all unrighteous, and we all have rightly earned death and hell because of a rejection of God as King. And our rebellion and sin have caused creation itself to be marred. We have broken God's good world, and our continual serving of sin and self rather than Christ brings more and more wickedness into creation. When we begin to, to reckon with the reality of sin in the world and the sin in our own hearts, the question that starts to arise is not, why would God allow something like a global pandemic or any other evil to happen? But rather, why would God not bring ultimate judgment and wrath on the world? Why would God show any mercy to us? He is sovereign and he has every right in the world to bring his justice and his righteousness to bear on all the people he has made, and to whom he gives the breath of life. There is sin in this world, and therefore there is pain, and there is tragedy. And God is sovereign over all of it, without being the author of sin. In fact, Scripture over and over shows us that God uses tragedies to bring about good. So think with me finally and thirdly about, it, about this truth. Nothing happens that cannot be turned for God's glory and the good of his people. Nothing happens that cannot be turned for God's glory and the good of his people. The words of Lamentation, Lamentations 3, 21 through 23 come back to our minds. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The sovereignty and providence of God is not something that simply helps us to explain his control over all things, but coupled with his, his goodness, it also helps us to trust that he is in fact working all things according to the counsel of his goodwill for his glory and for our good. That's a note that is struck from the very beginning as God takes a world that is formless and void, a world of chaos, and he brings order and beauty to it by the power of his word. And by the end of that same book, the book of Genesis, we see that God works in the same way for his children, that no matter what evil Joseph faced, the Lord was with him so that he could say to his brothers in Genesis 50 verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Such is the testimony of every child of God through faith in Christ. It is the truth that our God is always working to bring order out of chaos, to bring beauty out of ashes, to bring life out of death. We know that God is working all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Bridges speaks again of, of a twofold objective in God's providence. Twofold objective in God's providence, his own glory and the good of his people. He goes on, these two objectives are never antithetical. They are always in harmony with each other. God never pursues his glory at the expense of the good of his people, nor does he ever seek our good at the expense of his glory. He has designed his eternal purpose so that his glory and our good are inextricably bound together. What comfort and encouragement this should be to us. If we are going to learn to trust God in adversity, we must believe that just as certainly as God will allow nothing to subvert his glory, so he will allow nothing to spoil the good he is working out in us and for us. When things seem most out of control, trust that God is in control. Nothing happens apart from the Lord's command. And while, nothing, and while nothing in our present world escapes the stain of sin, it's also true that nothing happens that cannot be turned for God's glory and the good of his people. I said at the beginning that it's not the amount of faith that we have that matters, but who we are putting our faith in. Weak faith in an all-powerful God is better than strong faith in something else. But it's also true that the more we understand who God is, the more our faith will grow. Just as the, the more you know an upstanding and faithful person, the more you trust him or her, so too, the more we delve into the depths of who God is, the more our faith in him grows. The deeper we look into the deep things of God, the more we are able to trust in our Father, the more our faith grows. And I think the place that we look to that most enlarges our faith is to the cross. The cross of Jesus is the, is the place where heaven's peace and perfect justice kiss a guilty world in love. And it's also the place where God's sovereignty and providence, his goodness and love, and his wisdom all meet together in full color. There we see the, the predetermined plan of God taking place, enacted by the hands of sinful men. 
We see the love of the Father as the Son pours out his life to pay the penalty for our sins. We see the wisdom of God who is just and the justifier of those who trust in Christ. We see how God, in his absolute sovereignty and providence, can take the most wicked act ever done, the crucifixion of the Son of God, and turn it for the greatest good the world has or will ever know. Because Jesus died, and because he has risen, we who confess our sins and trust in him can be saved for all eternity. Sisters and brothers, let us look to the cross in these days of uncertainty and know that when things seem most out of control, God is in complete control. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are able to hold all of our doubts and all of our questions. You're able to hold all of our fears. Lord, that if we are looking for someone to trust in, that you are worthy of all of our trust and all of our faith. God, we worship you as the one who is sovereign over all. Nothing is outside of your control. And in this moment, Lord, when things seem out of control, we're simply reminded that we are not in control, but you are. But thank you for the confidence that we have, that nothing happens apart from your command. We realize that sin is present in this world, but we also realize Lord, that you are turning all things for your glory and for our good. I pray you would build our faith, Lord. Build our faith as we continue to look at your word and continue to know more of who you are. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.